Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Bible reading is going to be from Colossians 4, 2 to 4. 4. That's Colossians 4, 2 to 4. Once I um, finish reading the Bible passage for today, I would end by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and you shall respond by saying, praise be to God. So that's Colossians 4, 2 to 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our passage, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay. Shall we say a word of prayer? Father, we acknowledge that your word is indeed a lamp unto it. We pray that this morning you would bring it forth expressly. We ask that you will cause it to our free course, open a door to us for your word, that, you, that you, the gospel of Christ may be proclaimed fearlessly, may be proclaimed clearly, may be proclaimed as it ought. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Okay, good morning, everybody. Earlier this week, I, I read an article um, on the blog of Reading City to City, of our um, partner organizations. And it was sort of how a young family returned to their home country you know, in 2015, after spending about a decade um, in the United Kingdom. You know, they had experienced a true gospel renewal you know, why they were in the United Kingdom. And they decided to return because of, um, because their home city, you know, was marred by a false gospel, marred by, you know, alternative gospel preaching, Elton Wealth, you know, preaching, to be precise. You see? And since 2015, since they've arrived, you know, months after then, the gospel has been bearing fruit. You know, it's been growing. You've seen some changes in the life of, of many. You are part of this of this church plants. <laughs> you know you you know this church plant. Well, why? Because Femi and Tosin and, and the young ones, you know, received the call of God, right? And they decided to go. You know, Femi and Tosin received this call of God, and together with their friends, they decided to plan and to pray. This is nothing. This is this is nothing so out of the blues. They were just eating the Great Commission where Christ commissioned us in Martin 28 that we should go into the world and make disciples of all nations. It's the very reason why I've tied to this prayer as you go. So we'll look into Colossians 4 today and see how, do we, how should we continue to live as this, this kind of people who should hear the call of God to go. And how should we go you know, in heeding in, in, in to this call? This is what we find in Colossians 4 today. So I hope that... Um, 
So I hope that um, God will help us this morning. So Colossians 4, 2 to 4. So I would, um, we will treat this in four parts, right? The first is, <laughs> the first is proclaiming as calling one. Two is proclaiming in chains. The third point is door for the word. And the fourth is devotion to prayers. Proclaiming as calling. We ought to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Last week, Emmanuel tried to show us that the mystery of Christ as used in the scriptures, as used by Paul, it is not, it is not something that is still hidden. You see, the mystery of Christ as used by Paul is an open secret. It is something that was hidden in time past, in the Old Testament before Christ, but has now revealed ultimately in Christ. An open secret is the mystery of Christ, as we've read. Is it the mystery of Christ Paul showed in earlier you know, verses in Colossians? In Colossians 1, he tried to show us, he says, the mystery of Christ is, the, is, 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 is Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, in Colossians 1, verse, um, in verse 28, he says, see, this mystery of Christ that we preach, that we proclaim, is Christ. He says, namely Christ. In fact, Colossians 2 says, namely Christ. He says, see, this mystery is not something that is, that is clouded or shrouded in some kind of mystery. It's something that has been revealed to us. You see, as much as we've known or that we, if we are Christians, we've come to see that Christ is the one who was God, who, who is God, and who decided to become incarnate, come into this world so that he can redeem mankind to himself. It's in the aim that um, Paul described in Colossians 1 from 15 to 20. That is where we see expressly who this Christ is, what is done, what his work means for the world. You see, from 15 to 20 in Colossians 1, Paul starts to describe this Christ. He said, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He said, Christ is the firstborn among creation. You see, everything that was made was made by him and for him. Everything. He could go to warm springs. Everything was made by him. You know, <laughs> everything. Everything that, everything that was in the Grand Canyon, everything was made by him and for him. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say that this Christ didn't just come to this world to display some, some glory that had no meaning. He said, this Christ, who is the firstborn among creation, is also the Christ that is firstborn among the deaf. He said, he came so that he can reconcile sinners to God through his cross, through the cross, through his death on the cross. This is the ultimate meaning of the mystery of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, that I determined to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. That is the mystery of Christ. It's an open secret. That Christ, God, denied himself of his reputation, as we see in Philippians, and then he came to this world and humbled himself so that we who are sinners, who are dead in our trespasses, can be reconciled to God. This is the mystery of Christ. This is what we've been called to proclaim. You see, but is, is, is this what we find? Is this what we find now? See, it's like trying to show that the reason why Femi and Tosin came back to Lagos. Is this what we find? Do we not find a, a, a gospel or do we not find teaching about Christ that is, that is more like a cocktail? That is more like a concussion of different things. So you find, um, so recently a friend showed me how that a brand strategist in Lagos, who is a Christian, but married to a Muslim, you know, and she tried to express on Instagram that, you see, um, people come to ask me and say, hey, you're, you're a Christian. How, how, come, how come you're married to a Muslim? How do you cope? You know, how do you manage? And you say, no, no, no. See, you see, when, when we know the truth as Christians, what we often think is that we are the only ones that have the truth. You see, many other people, many other religions believe also have the truth. And this is, a self, this is a person who was identified as a Christian. There is some other thing that she's 
bringing, or there's some other thing that she has added to what we know as Christianity. Paul is saying, see, Christ is supreme in Colossians 1. He says, he is. He is the source of everything. He is the only way, the first one among the dead, only one that can reconcile us. He is the only truth that we have. Or do you know of, of those who have given themselves to teaching success principles? Teaching it in the very same way or at the very same level as they will preach the gospel. You know, as Emmanuel showed us last week, 12 ways to this, 7 ways to this. They've, we've, we've now, we, we don't now know what exactly, is, what exactly they've been called to preach. Is it the truth about the gospel or is it how to make ends meet in this world? Is it that Christ died and gave himself for us or is it that the reason why I'm a Christian is so that I can succeed? They've syncretized. It is no longer the mystery of Christ. You know, or is it those who will talk about, um, see, see, if you have not experienced the, the um, if you've not experienced the, the second walk of the Holy Spirit, if, you've, if you don't speak in tongues, in fact, you're not a Christian. How can we be sure that you're a Christian? You see, that is no longer the mystery of the Christ. That is no longer the gospel that I've been called to preach, to proclaim as Christians. Something is being mixed and fumbled. And this is what Paul is trying to get at in Colossians. That these people in Colossae have attached or have added several other things, are believing other gospel, believing other ways to the truth. And Paul wrote this letter warning them and urging them to remain steadfast in what is the gospel. You find all sorts. You find people who say, um, you see, I found God, you know, I found, I found God. All my life I've been seeking for the truth. I've been trying to find what is real or what is true. And then, you see, I've just come to the point where I found God. You know, I, this, this, this is what I've been looking for. You see, you may not find anything wrong with that. But what, oftentimes, what we're doing here is that they've been, trying, they've been trying to look for something that can satisfy their innermost desires. They've been trying to look for something that can fulfill their longings. And now they find something. They found this giant, this cosmic agent that can satisfy their inner longings. No, but that is not what Paul is saying in Colossians. Paul is saying that Christ is the first among creation. Christ's essence is that he has come to this world to reconcile rebellious sinners to himself. This is the gospel we said to proclaim. So when we, when we add something or esteem some other thing apart from the work of Christ to the same level as Christ himself, we no longer preach the Christian gospel. We no longer preach the truth of the gospel. We are preaching a cocktail, a, 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 a concussion. Christians are meant to serve only one menu. Only one menu. In the same way that the manna, God thought the manna sufficient for the Israelites, God thinks it's sufficient. The gospel message, mystery of Christ is sufficient for us. So we must first grasp what this mystery of Christ is that Paul is referring to. But Paul not stays there. Paul says, pray for me that I might proclaim the message of Christ, the mystery of Christ, as I should. It is a matter of calling. You see, Paul will tell you that he says, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant. He used several words. Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, woe to me, in King James Version, more lovely than NIV. He <laughs> said, necessity is laid upon me so that I might preach the gospel. This is the most fascinating, Romans 9, 3. He said, I wish that I would be accursed. So that the Israelites can be saved. Like, let God curse me. Let me be damned so that the Israelites can be saved. Such sense of calling that Paul had. This is what is expected of us as Christians. A calling to proclaim the true mystery of Christ. Saying, see, in the midst of all kinds of perversions of the gospel, 
what would I do? Am I not supposed to represent Christ, to serve as his ambassador, as a servant, as a prisoner of Christ, as a born servant to the gospel? It is what Paul sees. You see, but many of us will say, okay, you see, I, I'm not Paul. I do not have the exceptional giftings of Paul. I do not have this, the supernatural workings of the apostolic gift in my life. And that is true. Not everyone is called to be, to plant a church. Not many of us will serve as missionaries in foreign lands. Even though some of us should find some time, as I know some of us in this, in this, in this church already do, serve as short-term missionaries in foreign lands. But not all of us will be called to proclaim the gospel from a pulpit, from a lectern. But it does not excuse us of our calling still as, as people who have received Christ. You see, is Christ worth having if he's not worth sharing? Is he? Why would you have something that we cannot openly declare in the midst of perversions in our city? So what are we meant to do? We see it in 5 to 6. 5 to 6. Colossians 4, 5 to 6. How ordinary Christians, you know, how we who are not pastors or evangelists or apostles are meant to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul says in 5 to 6. In 5 to 6, if you read, it says, if we just quickly, um, 5 to 6, it says, <clears throat> Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Everyone can do this. If everyone can stand behind the lectern. Let me just quickly simplify this. We are meant to be wise with others and prudent with time. There is, there is, Femi might, might, might be the one who cast the city church vision, but Femi is not the one who, who cast the great commission. God Christ is the one that commissioned everyone. But there is no, there is no, there is, there is no department in church. There, there is no department in church that is meant to do the work of evangelism. That's what Paul is saying five to six. There is no sales department in the church. Everyone is called to, to sell one product as Emmanuel showed us last week, Christ himself. So we may, we may see some people doing it in some special way, but there are, there are ways that Paul thinks that we can. And he shows it in five to six, I've shown you. It's in two parts. You see, be wise with people and be prudent with time. And one easy thing I can say here is that we, we really need to reclaim the heart of conversation in 21st century Lagos. And why do I say so? Um, Sherry Toku, she's a, a professor of the Social Studies of Science and Technology from MIT. And she released a book last year called Reclaiming Conversation, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age. And she went on to show that in the past 20 years, there's been about 40% decline in the markers for empathy among young people, among college students, and it's even increasing in adults. And she says this, this trend is closely related to increase in digital communications. You know, you know what I'm already getting at, in digital communications. You see, there is a lot of good our smartphones are brought for us. We can instantly and constantly be connected to other people. But it is what this text, what this, um, what this WhatsApp, what is Instagramming, what of this retweeting has done to our in-person conversations that is troubling. It's because in Lagos, where most people profess to be Christians and they are not, the only way, the surest way to ascertain that one is a Christian, one sure way, is to spend a lot of time with the person. To engage in deep, meaningful conversations to the point where you know, where does this person really put their trust? Where does this man really put his trust? 
No, 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 no. Christ is not the Christ to our is not the first book among creation. No, no. It is what our Father has done for her. That is where she finds her origin for. That is where she puts her trust in. No, it is her hard work that she has seen that can reconcile, that can save her from the road that she's in her life. It is after spending meaningful time with people that you can discover this. So, you see, it is, it is so actually talk went on to show us that. Even when phones are turned off, you know, on the table, when people are having conversations, you see, our conversations tend, if you turn your phone on and it's placed on the table, our conversations, our conversations still tend to focus on light topics, things of little consequences, things of little controversy, because we feel that we might be interrupted anytime. So even silent phones disconnect us. Why do we trade meaningful, sacrificial conversations for mere minutes and seconds of connection that do not have lasting consequence? Or what is more? What has greater consequence? Or what has greater significance than a conversation that can lead to a possible proclamation of the mystery of Christ? What else? So we must be watchful. The next thing Paul talks about is that we should be sorting our speech and we should know how to answer everyone. Two weeks ago, Luke was here and he was at the breakfast table with me and Emmanuel. Luke, a member on our management team, at the breakfast table with me and and Femi. And then he asked us the question. He says, he said rather, um, why is it that in a country so religious, there's, there's such a high rate, high level of corruption? Those are questions you get asked by the non-Christian in your office, or by the agnostic or the skeptic in your neighborhood. Why? You go to church, but can't, can't you see all the rots in the city? What are you guys really doing? How would you answer? Paul says that we should be ready to give, and Paul says that we should know how to answer everyone. It means that we must spend adequate time in being fluent in the gospel, in knowing it so well enough that we can answer the questions of people. You may not, may not be versed or as skillful as Rabbi Zacharias or, or as Femi, but you should know it to the point where your, your, your speech is so salty that it induces thirst. People want to know. People want to follow you to your church. You want to live a life that people ask you a question and say, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And you say, it is because of Christ. It's because of the mission. because of what Christ has done for me. Do we live our lives in a way that demands gospel explanation is what Paul is saying. You see, don't make the mistake. And when we try to live good lives, we should also not make the mistake of some guy that was written of the now witness spiritual um, disciplines of the Christian life. The man went to meet his boss in the office, and then he told him, I said, I've become a Christian. And the boss said, oh, wow, that's great. Uh, I've been praying for you all these years. Um, and he said, why, why, do you, why do you not ever tell me that you are a Christian? You know, you are the, you are the reason why I've not even considered the gospel all my life. And, and the man said, how, how can that be? I have tried with all my best to model a Christian life before you in this office. And the guy said, you see, that's the point, exactly. You tried so hard to model a Christian life before me in the office without telling me that it's Christ that makes a difference. And because of that, I have convinced myself that I can live a good and happy life without Christ and get away with it, just like you. So as we live our lives, we must not try to be profound and say, oh, why... Why do you do that, sir? Why do you do that, ma? Or, or God, why do you do that? What is the reason? And you say, no, no, it's just, it pays to be kind in this world. You know, it, just, it just works. It's just practical. It's just common sense. Come, can't you see? If you're not wise, you, don't, you can't make profits. You can't be able to feed your family. No, no. 
we must be salty in our speech, fluent in the gospel, be wise with outsiders, prudent in our time, so that we can have an opportunity to give the gospel. Next point, proclaiming in chains. We ought to proclaim the mystery of Christ even in pains. We ought to proclaim the gospel even in pains, even in chains. Paul shows up. He said, pray for me that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul was a prisoner, yeah. That's why I was writing like this. But, it, but there was a movie released last year, um, Silence by Martin Scorsese. There are several grilling scenes in the movie, but one of the most grilling scenes for me was where people who had refused to apostatize, those who had refused to denounce Christ, were hung on the cross, turned upside down, an incision was made on their necks, a ditch was dug, and that cross was laid into that, into that they, were, they were not fully buried, just like from their head down to their chest was in the, in the place, and some kind of what, and they were left there for as long until they would apostatize or until they would die. Drop by drop, their blood kept dripping. They were screaming in agony just because they would not apostatize, just because they would not renounce Christ. And this movie was based on a true life story in like 16th century Japan. So you're thinking, uh, some of us here might be thinking, so ah, what kind of gospel have I received or believed? I'm never going to suffer like that. Am I truly a, a Christian? You know, I have one thing to say. Three weeks ago, I asked the question in Q&A, that should we be praying for more suffering when Francis showed us that more suffering enables us, sometimes God uses suffering to enable us to love him more. Should we pray for more suffering? But I found that that could also be another perversion of the gospel. Ascetism, as Paul showed us in Colossians. Thinking that by having little and less and less and less of things, we are drawn more to God. No, we are not meant to ask for suffering. We are meant to accept the suffering that God brings our way. So Paul is saying that, see, right where you are in 21st century Lagos, with the difficulties, with the pains of traffic and parenting and, 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 and loving your wife, you see, right where you are, proclaim the mystery of Christ. Or you might, you might say, oh, see, see, damn it, just for it, it does not even move me. I'm finding it very hard to even love my, my child, to just love my wife as I should. I, I don't even want any persecution right now. True. True enough. And what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, see, in the midst of that that you have right now, you can proclaim the gospel. You can proclaim the gospel right where and yet. When I came to Lagos, I, I lived in Badon most of, for a few years, and I came to Lagos, you know, when I was, but I used to chastise my friends for how now the prayer lights are come down, and how they're just saying the Lord's prayer every morning and rushing to walk that. You guys have, you have lost it. I'll come and I'm going to show you what's up. And when I came to Lagos in the first few weeks, you know, it was still going fine. After a month or two, I started saying, ah, what, what's happening here? When was the last time I read my Bible? I've skipped my daily plan. I have not said my prayers at night. I, I see the demands of Lagos. I, I know what it can be like. So Paul is saying, right where you are. What would this mean? Is it right where you are in your roles as a parent, or as a mother, or as a colleague in office? Paul is saying, if Christ could cross all the way from heaven to earth so that he can reconcile you to God, is it why, why do you find it hard to drive from the island to the mainland to spend adequate time? Additional time without family member who has not yet given his life to Christ. Paul is saying that. Why do you find it so hard to walk down from your office 
or to take the elevator from your office to the second floor so you can spend time with our colleague who is not a Christian. Paul is saying that, why can't you trek in your, in your estates? Maybe you're going to meet that neighbor in the supermarket who has not given his life to Christ, right where you are. The second thing Paul is saying is that, Paul, Paul is also saying that, see, yeah, yeah, preach, you, you just heard what I said. But see, when you proclaim, you're going to face some kind of wala, some level. It means that you might meet some night out with your girlfriends because you want to spend time with someone who might hear the, the ministry of the Christ or the gospel. It means that, see, because you try to cover up, you try to live your life in a way that demands gospel explanation. A particular example in Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller shows this. A, 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 a certain boss in a company, um, he, he oversaw a unit, and a particular lady in his unit had made a terrible mistake that was going to put the unit in trouble. You know, she would, have, she would lose her job for what she had done. But when they had to present before the board meeting, before the girl could say anything or to confess as a mistake or something, the boss stood up for her. And I said, no, it's my fault. I, I am the one who is responsible for this. I, I made, I, I'm, I'm the one. Hold me responsible. Because it was at a level where he could not, his job could not be terminated. He was in a more secure position than the lady. And then when he got back to the office and the lady met him, I said, sir, why would you do that? Why would you go that far for me? You know, the, the man didn't say, that you see, you know, you just have to, it's what I've learned over time. With practice, you just cover for people, you know, just normal stuff. No, no, the boss didn't say that. You see, the boss pointed out to what Christ had done for him. How that Christ has served as his own advocate. And what would the guy reply? He said, what church do you attend? I will go with you to church next Sunday. That is what Paul is asking us to do. Proclaim it in chains. We ought to proclaim the gospel even in pains. I would like us to read just one very, one, 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 one passage. Philippians 1. Can we just turn to Philippians 1? Philippians 1 from verse, two, um, from verse 12. I know both how to make... Okay, Philippians 1. Okay, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Philippians 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure... To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These, these preach out of love. Paul says, in the midst of our pain and our condition, that God can use this very hardness and hardship in 21st century Lagos to advance the gospel like no other place, no other time in the world. You are here for a reason, and part of that reason is to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Third point, door for the word. We cannot proclaim the word, the gospel, effectively if there is no open door. Is the open door here, the metaphor Paul uses, means a time where people, it means people be, being receptive, people being responsive to the gospel of Christ. Because people are not naturally so. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul says, for we were dead in our trespasses. It is easier to wake a dead man with an alarm clock than to convert a lost sinner to Christ. Paul is saying that, see, the natural man does not have the ability 
to understand spiritual things, 1 Corinthians 2.14. Paul is also saying in Ephesians 2 verse 2 that Satan is the one at work in the hearts of lost people, of sinners. Satan is the one at work. The gods of this world have blinded their eyes that they will not behold the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. It is not the work we can do by ourselves. Our skillfulness, our living our lives in a way that makes the gospel explainable, our proclaiming the mystery every time we have the opportunity cannot do the work by itself. I have, I, have two friends that have, I have two friends that have been trying to proclaim the mystery of gospel to saints for a while. You know what? Every time I feel like I go back, I ask people questions, I ask family questions, I go to read, I watch some videos, I go back, we talk and talk, and we get to the point, and see, dummy, what you are saying is not the, this is not, they cannot be the gospel. What you are saying is different. The gospel I'm seeing here is different from what you are telling me. It's not, this is not what I know. You know better to keep telling me that. The truth of telling me, see, 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 religion is for some people. I'm a humanist. It does not, it can work for some people. It does not work for me. I, I try as much. I come from every angle I know how, but they're not yet bulging. I, I'm still open to God that they will come. You see, this makes us see our, our helplessness, that we need to utterly rely on God for the work of evangelism, for the work of, of missions, for the work of, to, of proclaiming the gospel. For evangelism, if we were to define it properly, or as J.I. Faka defines it, is that evangelism is we going out as agents of Christ in love to proclaim the truth of the gospel with a view to converting people. Our job is not to convert, but our aim is that it will be converted. But we are not responsible for the conversion of people. If God does not open the door, the best that people will see God as is as a gardener, like Mary, God, Mary Madeline. The best that people will see God as is a magician that just does miracles and healings, as some have made him to be in our city. The best that some people will see God as is as a cosmic ATM, the one whom you follow his principles can make you rich all of a sudden. The best some people will see God as is as a cruel NOIC camp commandant, who is interested in nothing but setting rules that you can only break. That is the best people will see God as. God is the one that needs to open the door. Acts 14.27, it shows, it says, see, for the Lord has opened the door. Paul was in the market. God has opened the door to the, for, for the Gentiles in this part. He says in 2 Corinthians 2.12 again, that God has opened the door. Let's be thankful for God that has opened the door. It is God that opens the door, that makes people receptive and responsive to the mystery of Christ. And so that brings us to the fourth point, devotion to prayers. There will be no open word for the, there will be no open door for the word if we do not pray, if we are not devoted to prayers. Let's go back to verse 2. Colossians 4, to just, just stay at it. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being <laughs> Being watchful in thanksgiving. Devote. Continue steadfastly. Keep on. Keep on. One thing devote to my mean is to hopelessly depend on God. Hopelessly depend on God's sovereignty. That God is the one that opened the door. Without him, they, my work of evangelism and mission can never bear fruit. And so we cry out to him in helplessness. We cry out to him with desperation. Devoting ourselves to prayer also means that we pray repeatedly and often repeatedly and often, like the woman Jesus spoke of in Luke 18. He says, the woman kept pestering the unjust judge, kept pestering, importunate praying, kept pestering, kept pestering, kept asking. 
that, she, that, the, that the judge will respond to her and do her as she requested. That is what devoting to prayers mean. Devoting to prayers will be for us to act like Abraham and say, God, if you see 20, God, if you see 10, God, if you see 5. He kept history. That God will save some in that city. This is what we ought to do, to devote ourselves to prayer. Someone will say, what is the essence? You know, God is sovereign. We save people that he wants to save. You see, there is no need. Or why should I keep praying when God wants to save people? God is not slow. You see, one of the attributes of this importunate praying is that we tend to rely on God or salvation as an ultimate gift of God. It prevents us from becoming proud and saying it's our skill. It's my ability to live a gospel, a life that is man's gospel explanation. It's my ability to be skillful with the words. No, depending on God removes every chance or every opportunity for us growing proud in prayer. Devoting ourselves to prayer also means that we should not give up. You see, as Abraham waited 25 years for the birth of Isaac, <laughs> sometimes it will take months, sometimes it will take weeks, sometimes it will take years for the new birth of our friend or of our family member or of that neighbor down the street. So we have to devote ourselves to prayer, not giving up and say, and bombard God. Give him no rest. Like Isaiah tells us in 62, he said, give God no rest and give yourself no rest. Keep telling him, till the salvation comes to this city, till salvation comes to this land. During the World Trade Center bombing, the firefighters, the firefighters will, will go as fast, searching every room, searching every corridor, making sure that there was, making sure that there was, no living person, no person that they could save. You know, the, you will not expect a firefighter to go to a first room or go to a, and say, you know, I've searched like two or three floors and I couldn't find any living person. I'm not going to, there's no need. I can't see from all this, how can there be any living person upstairs? No, that is not how the firefighter worked. That's not how those people worked. They acted as if, see, if there will be just one person in the 16th floor, I go as far, I do the best I can to save one life. That is as, as far as we want to depend on God, devoting ourselves to prayer, expecting him, praying to him that God will save this man, that God will save this woman, that God will save this friend, that God will save this colleague. Or Paul shows us that we ought to be watchful. We say, being watchful. Being watchful will mean that we are looking out, we are asking God, what opportunities are there for me to love this person that will provide an opportunity for me to share the gospel? What, how can I serve this individual? Or as a church, how can we serve this community that can open a door for our message? I'll give some ways that we can start practicing as individuals and as a church. Why not in the next few weeks or, in next, or as soon as we can, some of us devoting ourselves to say, see, we'll be praying for the service. We'll be praying for the worship service. We'll be praying for our theology, our prayer days. We'll be praying for the preachers. We'll be praying for Femi. Because Femi's message can never have an effect in our lives if, we're not, if God does not allow it. It will never make any effect. We'll be hearing an increase in theology and intellectual knowledge but no impact in our lives. If we do not pray for God to allow the world to come. Why don't we give ourselves, I'll come 30 minutes before the start of service, and I'll pray that his word may have free course, that his word may have impact, that his word may begin to transform. Can you take prayer walks in your neighborhood, your estates? Oh, that's not make it difficult. Can you take prayer walks in your office during break time? Just walk around the corridor and say, God, open a door for the message of the gospel for me. 
There will be non-Christians there. There are agnostic Christians there. Open the door and you take prayer walks down the corridor of your office, around the compound of your office, in your neighborhood, just down your estate, and saying, God, open the door for the message. Open the door for the gospel. Then you start a prayer group, one or two people, you and your wife, you and two people, your friends in church, weekly or monthly. As we started to see our helplessness, me, me and Tom, I started to meet like maybe three or four months ago, you know, every Monday, praying for our friends and our loved ones who have not yet given their lives to Christ. You know, every Monday, we just meet for an hour. And we just see that we are so helpless. Like, we're not wise enough. We've read many books, but it's not, it's not working. We ask if anybody the question, and we get all the answers, but people are not seeming to believe in us. And so we decided, like, three months ago, to meet every Monday to pray for an hour. We are so helpless. We need you. We have to depend on God. Or can you list your roles and say, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm I'm an MD, I'm a chairman, list all of these roles. And then begin to look at who are the people associated to these roles. Oh, my driver, um, my subordinate, my supervisor, all the roles. Start attaching people that are connected to the roles and start having conversations with them and start praying for them. And start having conversations with them and start praying for them. Speak to God about them and speak to them about God. We have to be thankful. See, those who pray the most are those who are most thankful. Those who ask God for the most, for everything are the ones that are most thankful. They're the ones that are grateful. God, I thank you because of the opportunity you made. Thank you because you, because thank you because I'm fine. Thank you because I'm able to breathe. Or thank you because I'm, 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 I'm able to, in everything. We have to be thanking God. As God is opening doors, as God is doing this, we begin to thank God. Thank Him for every opportunity. Thank you for everything that God is doing. But ultimately, this is where we get the source of our, of our gratitude. In Colossians 1, Paul said, I keep praying for you. I keep giving thanks for you because of the hope that is taught for you in heaven. In Colossians 3, 15 to 16, where after he started to show how that we ought to live our life, he said, be thankful, always thankful. But ultimately, in Colossians 1.12, Paul says, see, give thanks because God has qualified you in Christ Jesus. He has qualified you. Let your thanks rise up to God because he has qualified you. Because Christ surrendered, shelved his CV as God, as king of the world. He shelved it for a while and said, because I want to reconcile these people to God. And he came down to earth to give his life for us. Paul shows us in First Timothy 1. He said, I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners. I do not deserve. I do not deserve to be a proclaimer of the gospel. But Christ, by his faith, by his love, has called me. The same calling that we've received in Christ Jesus. The same calling that enables us to be proclaimers of the gospel. God has qualified us in Christ Jesus. This is reason to be thankful. This is reason to go out and proclaim. This is reason to be prayerful and depend on God to minister the gospel. You know, I talked about the Redeemer City to City blog earlier when I started. Um, and that's why I read the story about Femi Antosin. Timothy Keller, a pastor for almost 42 years, he just resigned his pastorship and pastoral duties. Now he's chairman of the Redeemer City to City, which is founded. They've planted hundreds of churches across global cities in the world. And then not too long ago, was asked that if you... If you, if you die, what would you like to be written on your obituary? What would you like to be on your epitaph? And he's stunning. This is a great man. I, like, this, this, is, this is someone referred to as, some people refer to as the smartest pastor in America. And then he just said two phrases. 
He said, I would like to be remembered as a man of prayer and as an evangelist. You know, I, I paused and I couldn't go like, is that all? But it struck me. He wanted to be a man who talked to God about people. And he wanted to be a man who talked to people about God. Well, what would it be for you? Would it be written on your epitaph? Fei, a woman of prayer and a proclaimer of the gospel. Olumide, a man of prayer and, and a proclaimer of the gospel. Would it be written about City Church? City Church, a community of worshippers on mission. What would it be for us? Let us pray. Father, we... Um, we, can, we are not qualified to proclaim the gospel. We are not. We can never, ever be qualified to proclaim the mystery of Christ. But you qualified us. In Christ Jesus, you qualified us. We are thankful. We are grateful. We adore you. We worship you. We can never be grateful enough. We pray that you will open a door to us as individuals, open a door to us as a church for the world that we will proclaim the mystery of Christ, even in the pains of 21st century Lagos, that we will proclaim it fearlessly, that we will proclaim it clearly as we should. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.